hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Do a hamster? A hamster? A hamster? With a blunt penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast, where we are discussing the Twin Dilemma episode two. Oh, fend for yourselves. I'm off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, finally, a solo commentary. I could just put all my opinions out. (laughs) He'll be the smartest of the two of us, so I think that's probably for the best, you know. Not true. (laughs) Can I confess a love of something to you? You've confessed many loves to me, Joe. I did. In fact, I confessed my love for my lover for you. You did, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A long time ago. Good mm-hmm. you've seen me through some time, Simon Hart. <laughs> I have. Highs and lows. Oh, oh, there's been <laughs> like some Doctor lows. Who. <laughs> many highs, though, you know. There's been a yes, many, many. Number of phenomenal orgasms, you know. I think I've told you about those as well. <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. I forget we're being recorded and now going <laughs> live. Um, I love B movies. I was brought. Yes, up you've said my, this before, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was brought up in my childhood on a steady stable, so we couldn't really afford a lot. And my mother used to head down sort of the, you know the, the equivalent of the pound shop. I can't remember what it was back then. Um, it did have a name, but I can't remember. And she'd pick up these dreadful movies, The Brain, The Nymphoid Barbarian from Dinosaur Hell, and all of this terrible, low-budget, mm-hmm. melodramatic, insanely concepts, you know, like mm-hmm. dreadful movies with awful acting. But I used to really laugh along with them and enjoy them. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm scared that my love for classic Who may have come out of because, you know, <laughs> both B-movies and classic Doctor Who were made with Tim Fall and Sticky Back Plastic with heightened yeah. performances. Mm-hmm. I do yeah, actually... and, and you know, being a fan of Doctor Who from such a young age, is, that means that you become completely enshrouded in in this kind of tv um i mean this was uh, this was formative tv for me i mean this was um part of my life from from being four years old so you're just part of this whole heightened world and it's i i as i said i had very few critical faculties until i was was sort of 11 really and noticing differences in in things i i just loved all of doctor who absolutely and there were stories i didn't like no there were no 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 there were until until i was until much sort of being a teenager really when i sort of evaluated it but as a child it was all brilliant the whole lot well, I'm perfectly convinced that the twin dilemma is the ultimate expression of B movie in Doctor Who. Yes, mm-hmm. it has an insane idea at its heart of this <laughs> yes. sentient slug that mm-hmm. wants to fire off his sluggy eggs all over the universe and take over all the planets. To do that via the means of some insane Star Trek technobabble involving planets. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but it's like it's so it's like a B movie, but done Doctor Who style. So it's done on this yeah. sort of intergalactic mm-hmm. scale, um, and in it you've got possibly the most theatrical performances you're ever going to see in Doctor Who. A mad supervillain 
in it as well um and some pretty shoddy production values yep when i first watched this you know the the Woolworths exclusive <laughs> <laughs> lucky old Woolworths <laughs> twin dilemma of the Aztecs oh, they just belong to I mean, how do you choose <laughs> <laughs> I think I chose the twin dilemma you know um <laughs> when I first watched this I just had so much fun with it because it I'm programmed to enjoy this stuff now I get the somebody that's brought up on the staple diet of modern day television Star Trek uh, strange new worlds something like that might <laughs> then go back and watch this and go well what is this tap mm-hmm. but I do think what you're influenced by when you're young it does determine your aptitude for this sort of stuff oh so absolutely watching mm-hmm. it now, one, I've got the nostalgia for it because I watched it when I was young. But two, I I really like this cheesy genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's sometimes enough to get you through, isn't it? I, I get that's often used as a way of criticising the show is that um, particularly this story is very B-movie and, and things like that. And it's that that generation of fans in the 80s who were just ultra critical of everything because they were not necessarily the target audience, but they loved the show, but it didn't live up to the memories that they had of Doctor Who when they were kids. And so at this point in Doctor Who history, the Pertwee years is the pinnacle of Doctor Who because that generation of fans are now the ones who are leading the the opinions in fanzines and things like that. And because Pertwee had been this very steadfast doctor and the stories were all serious and it was the army and it was unit and it was great looking aliens, then that was core Doctor Who to them. Move forward a couple more years and it's the fans who grew up with the Hinchcliffe years that, that are then prevailed in charge. for a long time. In the and that prevailed for forever. And Unfortunately, the fans like me who got to who would have been the next lot who came with the Williams era, it took a lot longer for our voices to be heard because those opinions by then were so ingrained as the gospel truth of Doctor Who that trying to sort of argue that Williams era who was good or JNT era Doctor Who was brilliant because there's so much of it that is is brilliant you can't wipe out a whole era and just say there's nothing of merit in the 80s at all but there were people who did i my first boyfriend dan he said doctor who stopped with the horns of nine on part four for him and doctor who was never doctor who after that when jnt came in i'm guessing he no, wrote your boyfriend for long then well well you know <laughs> um but it's just that it's just those opinions were so prevalent everywhere and those were the people that younger fans like uh, like me looked up to because i was reading them in dwm and in my first fanzines in the late 80s you know and so you get all of these opinions and they hated this they absolutely mauled this story and i don't think it necessarily deserves that it's not the worst Doctor Who story ever. I think once we get sort of the bulk of the regeneration crisis out of the way, which I think we're we're mostly done by the end of 
this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think episodes three and four, you've got a sort of two-part... It is cheesy, but yeah. you know, you've got a ranting villain, you've got a strong moral doctor, you've got jokes in there as well, you've got fun guest characters, you know, that snivelly Chamberlain's in there oh, as yes. well. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is having a lot of fun. And I, you know what? I love Colin Baker's era. I can see the flaws in it. I don't think it has fun enough. You know, parts of Time Lash, parts of Revelation of the Daleks. Most of the time, though, it's trying to be a bit adult, a bit graphic, a bit nasty. Yeah. And yeah. whereas this is Dilemma episodes three and four are just are not like that at all. Aren't they? No, camp and glorious. No, and I know, I know how much Revelation of the Daleks is absolutely loved, but I, I admire it hugely, but I don't love it because it's just too grotesque for me, and it was definitely too grotesque for me as a child. Of I was nine when that was on, and it was just, just horrible. It really, really was, was not designed for a five twenty on a Saturday afternoon. Um. Uh, time slot and and it's full of grotesque people doing grotesque things in grotesque ways and there is no one likable other than the dj in the guest characters at all and as a child i found that really off-putting if i'd been a couple of years older i'd probably appreciated it more and i do appreciate it more now but it will never be my favourite of the era because that mm-hmm. opinion still clouds. Love it. I mean, that is my Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I came yeah. to it as an adult where I could sort of appreciate, you know, the 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 darker stuff in, yeah. in, mm-hmm. in a different way. Um, can I, before we get into two, can I just have one moment? Can I have a Todd Bilby moment? You can. Because I don't know if you... you this has gone up to a 5.8 for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, oh, it is. No, I think it's about a 7.9 for me. If I'm honest. <laughs> um, actually, I'm probably not far off, you know, mm-hmm. just after an eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, I I had have uh, an incredibly disappointing father. And yeah. he is uh, every ist you can imagine a racist, a sexist, he's homophobic, mm-hmm. he, he's a despicable human being and that was my until i was 11 in which prison that was my sort of role model of what men were like okay and then i can remember because it almost sort of married him chipping out of my life and colin baker's doctor chipping into my life that trial of a time lord box set coming out and um suddenly i i was sort of obsessed with this doctor this um sort of forward sticking up for the things he believed in not always nice you know flawed very very funny and uh i remember when i first watched the twin dilemma and that bit where he walks in right at the end I and mean, we will get there and he goes you know uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna let you have your sluggy eggs all over <laughs> and neither will i allow you to destroy what was once a perfectly nice plan I just fucking loved him. He was everything mm-hmm. my dad wasn't, you know. And I, I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but I do think we take role models from characters that we enjoyed when we were younger. Sometimes, if you have a deficit of that in your real life, oh, Colin was that for me. I've, and I think Tom was that for me. 
that was what I wanted to be in an adult. That's what I wanted an adult to be because he wasn't like, I've said this many times on Hamster before, but he wasn't like any adult I knew. And I loved him for not acting like an adult. And I think I've based my whole adult life on not acting like an adult most of the time and just finding the fun in everything because of that. He was my earliest role model for that. And he was very different to my dad who, and I think maybe I had a bad reaction to Pertwee's doctor because of my dad was very controlling and very outspoken and you knew exactly where you were with him and you had to follow his rules. And I think maybe some of Pertwee's doctor reflected things in my dad that I didn't like. I get on very, very well with my dad these days, which is an unexpected delight, sort of late, in life he's mellowed a huge amount but i i can absolutely see that and i've spent my adult life reacting against my dad in similar ways so i think i think um the point i'm i'm trying to make i don't know if i'm making it well Mm -hmm. is um colin baker sixth doctor can hit but I think he has to come at the right point in your life, and yeah. the context is key. You know, Absol- no, no, no. Yeah, I can, I can completely see that. And for you, he came at that moment that you needed yeah. that kind of moral force. And the the unexpected joy for me has been: it's not that I've reunited with my father; that's never going to happen. It's that I've met Colin Baker several times now, and it's turned out to be as glorious. <laughs> in real life as i'd imagine and he gives me kisses and flirts outrageously with uh-huh. me has a lot of fun with me when he sees me and it's just wonderful yeah sorry should we go and watch this b movie <laughs> i think we better we? <laughs> yeah. this will be episode one all over again <laughs> um, uh oh yeah i'll, st- I'll count us in then yeah yes go on then in i'll do it in mestor five four three two one off we go. Off we go. What was the cliffhanger? Um, it was um Hugo holding them up with the gun. Oh, yeah. In the commentary. It's a standard Doctor Who episode ending. God, it lets him say the line. What is it? You destroyed my entire command. Yeah. Now I'm going to kill you. And then Colin just goes, what with that? <laughs> <laughs> that prop, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, how do you feel about coincidences then? Perry hiding the power pack in the the very part of the wardrobe that Hugo Lang happens to kill for. <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, but then she's not expecting him to go and want to change his clothes or wake up while they're not there. So, you know. It is true. It is true. Oh, look at him. He's looking all sort of uh, sooty and roughed yeah. up, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Dear, oh dear. Uh, you need to distract me from Kevin McNally's <laughs> sexiness. Okay. Actually, you've met Kevin McNally recently. I have. Yes, I oh, met him Tell us about year. it. Come on. Oh, God, he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And what a raconteur. He's an actor with stories, and he's happy to tell them. And he is one of the few actors of this generation that I have ever heard say, Making TV is better now. He said, I don't want to do all of that rehearsal stuff. I don't think it adds anything. I think you can 
if you're a good enough actor, you can absolutely get your performance working with the director and the other actors on the day. And he said, I much prefer it now, which is no one ever says that. Oh, Everyone all about all the Acton Hilton going up in the lift with Morecambe and Wise, having your lunch with all the other actors. He he appreciates that, obviously, but he much prefers making TV now. Man, and I, you know, let's just have a moment for Eustatius Jericho from the Flux. Fucking lootly. One of the best things in modern Doctor Who. Yeah, and, and he had a brilliant story about that where he says, I was contracted for one episode, he said, and then they really liked me, so they wrote me into the rest, into another one, and then I got a script for another one because I was just going to carry on. And he said, this could just go on forever, couldn't it? He said, I could just be here. What did he have to say about this thing? Because I've got some quotes from him from the commentary, but what's he got to say now? He He remembers it really, really fondly, and he started off by saying, look, he said, I know, he said, you can still say it. I was in the worst Doctor Who story ever. <laughs> he said, but I had the best time. He said, I was a huge fan of Doctor Who. He'd watched from episode one. He loved Doctor Who. He's a big sci-fi man. He writes sci-fi novels and all sorts, um, which I didn't know. And and he just said, I was so excited to be in Doctor Who and walking out of the TARDIS and all of that. He said, I don't care what you think. He said, I'm very proud of this. You know what? The, it, the, another what if is what if Hugo had stayed on? Because I don't yeah. think that banter between the Sith Doctor and Perry would have been quite so alarming if you'd no. had a man between them saying, Oi, Doctor, you yeah. wicked. Right. Siding with Perry. Yeah. And, and not always necessarily siding with Perry, but that freeway thing could have been interesting. If Turlo had stayed on, that might have been an interesting dynamic. But weirdly enough, oh, you ain't going to like this. I think okay. McNally shows more potential. I think he's a better actor than Mark Strickson. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I, no, I, That's beyond dispute. He's still acting now. He's getting major roles. Mountain in Abbey. You know, sp- he's been in everything. I looked at his IMDb. Yeah, Pirates of the like, Caribbean. He was in all of those oh, films. Amazing. You know? And the fact that an actor of that sort of prestige can still say the twin dilemma are the best time. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he may have bitten Nicola Brandt's bottom as well at one point. Yes, him and Colin. Um, let's just say we don't approve of this. <laughs> yeah, we don't approve of this behaviour. No, no, definitely not. And it, uh, but Colin acknowledges this on the commentary and says this was what it was like at the time, and you could get away with doing these things. And he said, and you didn't, as a man, stop to think of the effect this might have had on a much younger woman. Yeah. And Nicola says very cheekily, God, it should have happened now. I could have had a lawsuit against you, you know. <laughs> Made a pin. <laughs> but again, it's... Where's where's the duty of care? Why was JNT not there calling this out? Well, I, I'd rather think if he is coming on and, and, you know, having the costume designer tear off bits of her clothing. Exactly. I don't think that, that was is. much of a consideration. It, no. There, there was some troubling things happening behind the scenes here. Yes, exactly. It's, well, yeah, I'm not just creatively, you know, like politically as well. Yeah, and it's, again, it's what happened at that time, I've spoken to to older women who come and volunteer for me, and they were saying about the office culture at the time, where you were just warned that don't be in an enclosed space with with this particular person in the office. 
Whereas you said, hang on, you're making it my fault if I do this rather than the man who is actually doing this. And she said, she said, she's in her 70s now. And she said, I never thought at the time of looking at it from the other point of view. It was just, well, you, yeah, this isn't your, this is just what he's like. No one called the man out for doing this. It was the woman's fault for leading him on or wearing a short skirt or being in the stationary cupboard. And, you know, I'm having your bottom pinched. Probe too deep because obviously, like Jimmy Savile was about at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of we know this is going on and we ain't going to rock the boat in the BBC at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is very worrying. So let's be very pleased that hopefully none of that is occurring. Now, I don't think, well, like I don't think there and, was much of that in Doctor Who, really, was there? Colin and Kevin McNally are clearly two of the most amiable blokes you're ever going to meet. Yeah. And, and in no way, you know, sexually perverted or anything like that. So this is just a prank that they're pulling. It's a tasteless and ill-thought-through prank. But if if people as gentle and as lovely as them can think, well, you know what? It's a joke. We can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Somebody with less morals, I'll leave it there. Yeah. And Colin has apologised and Kevin McNally apologised because they realised it was out of order. So that's I know that doesn't necessarily make the action right, but it puts the situation right. And the truth is, is I, I'm not sure what the dynamic is, whether it's sort of father-daughter or brother-sister. Colin and Nicola are extraordinarily close after. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always get the feeling it's like a brother-sister relationship yeah. where there's a bit of backwards and forwards between them, but they ultimately love each other to bits. Um, Can I, sorry, I'm going to bring us back into the story for a second. Okay, well, good. <laughs> Mostly we've been, it's just been the two of them talking in the TARDIS again. So there's no no real plot mm-hmm. going on until now when we see a bump, a bump. I have to say, for a story that is derided for its um, production values, the model work is beautiful in this story. It's really top quality. Spaceship effects later on. Yeah. Wouldn't really be great. out of place in a Star Wars movie. I no. Think. And I think that shot of Titan 3 is... Re- that's red dwarf um style effects that's what they would be doing years later and so the bbc obviously can do this stuff when they've got the money and the the inclination to do it during the sequence we've just had you've got colin deducing a ton of plot points that he probably shouldn't know about but he needs to know about <laughs> in order yes. basically Kevin McNally said one line and he's deduced the entire plot. Oh, a duck and children, right? Okay, mm-hmm. we're going to go and find them <laughs> against their will and all of this. But it said on the thing that the, the a brief for his doctor was he was supposed to be sort of Sherlock Holmes-esque mm-hmm. and be able to deduce a lot. And actually, that's very well scripted, that scene, I think. And he delivers it brilliantly as well. One of the great things about Colin as a doctor is he used to be a lawyer, so he can yeah, get so he's good at that stuff. Mouth around the most tongue twisty. I mean, Big Finish have taken advantage of that many a time, um, and then he can deliver sort of the exposition, the technobabble, all the tongue twisters, as if he's you know reeling off a shopping list. So yeah, it's, it's very very true. Works, well, I think we're sort of pushing away from post regeneration now with the odd wobble, and mm-hmm. we are pushing into the plot. Yeah, um, the book is interesting because 
the book portrays that as the doctor thinking he actually is Sherlock Holmes <laughs> and um plays into that. The book is I, the book is fascinatingly flawed. <laughs> and uh, I think it's really funny. I think that might be the best thing to say with wrote, you know. <laughs> I think yeah, I think it possibly is. It's 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 very, very <laughs> He's no fucking Douglas Adams, and he's trying. No, but he's trying. And you were mean you about Johnny Morris doing Douglas Adams, and I'd say Johnny Morris is like a hair away. Yeah. Eric Sawalt's like would. a mountain away. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. But it does show that Eric Saywood has a sense of humour. Yes. Which you wouldn't is... necessarily expect. Um, no, and it is, it is a bit on the edge, isn't it? Let's talk about alcohol and sex. Yeah, and that, and there's a, yeah, I mean, we get the scene shortly that's coming up when the Doctor meets Edgeworth stroke Asmail, who we will talk about, I yeah. promise, yes. when we get there. But they talk about drinking the night away and getting really, really pissed and falling in the fountains and stuff. And the Doctor at the start of Slipback has a hangover from drinking too much Broxnick. That's right. Oh, Slipback. What what was Seymour thinking? (laughs) I don't think he ever was. That was the problem. No, I think that's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, now can we finally take an opportunity to talk about Gavin and... uh, Who is it? Gavin and... Someone. Andrew, Gavin and Andrew Conrad as the Sylvester twins. Well, what I will say is they've got very 1984 hair. I know it's sort of like it's the Adric, isn't it? Yeah, everyone at school had that hair. I never had that hair because I my did. hair doesn't grow like that. So I, I was very. Say, my mum had put a pudding bow on my head and cut around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I very rarely had had her like that thank goodness but yeah I mean, they're they're very children of 1983 84 um that i it's an impossible brief isn't it to get twins who can act and both of them can act and where possible identical twins i mean the chances of finding any of that is is really Apparently there was a pair of girls that were really good actors. Yeah, but JT said no. He wanted boys. <laughs> oh, there were some very troubling things going on behind the scenes in Tom Two at the mm-hmm. time. Um do you know what though? I'm gonna say, because I do think what were they thinking? Because you know, we've been here with Adric, Matt's yeah. genius, putting bowl haircuts and all of mm-hmm. this. Why did we think it would be more palatable here? I think they're, are they supposed to be a bit scary? Like the book portrays them as being very sinister. I think so. I think particularly the first scene and when they're doing the equations, it's supposed to be, be really odd that they're, they're completely um, in sympathy with each other and know what the other one's going to do and can counteract it and all of that. But because the acting level is slightly lower than it might be, I'm just going to be nice because why why not be? They're not shocking. Their That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> Basically, yeah, they're they are. Um they're not up to it. No. And so they just come across as a bit lost. Yeah, basically. And you can see Morris Denham is doing everything he can to keep get them together and is looking after them and and is willing them to get through each scene <laughs> i recently said on the happens to commentary right the thing of the great thing about Doctor who is is you get like fresh talent like young talent where they can't act at all and then these these old school actors 
that are absolutely it perfectly and you bring them together and i don't think there's a better example of it than here because no. the, the weight that he's pulling and he seems yeah he is keeping this together by a thread <laughs> a lot of the he's, time he's just turned into a cardboard cutout yes. with lights yes he's being revitalized oh i could do with that you know mm-hmm <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, do you know what? Right, you know, do you ever feel like um, when you do these hamster commentaries, you you don't know who you are, or where you are, but you're a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking my no 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 green on my wrists. We're fine. <laughs> restrained. Oh, now do you know the bit we just had a minute a minute ago when they're in the ducting? Although, yeah. may I say again, the ducting is enormous. <laughs> well, of course. Um. They, they did that reversal where you've got uh, the doctor going, come on, Perry, let's go, you know, and she's going, yeah. oh, you sure we should? And then he, you know, there could be terrible danger. And then she goes, oh, he goes, oh, danger, no, let's go. And then she's going, wait, don't you think we should? I think they play that really well. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, is then he's on his knees going, oh, spare mm-hmm. me, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then he's hamming it up a bit too much. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you then about the Doctor Asmel relationship and how okay. you find it. That's gorgeous. It is. And that's, it? that's what this story needs. And this is exactly right. This is, and maybe if they'd played this up a bit more, that the Doctor being unsure about being the Doctor and being himself to meet one of his oldest friends at this point and him, his friend help him through it would be a wonderful, could have been a really great thing to hook the story around, that Doctor's meeting one of his oldest friends who's known him on Gallifrey, who's known him in multiple regenerations, and he can help him through it. And we get little bits of that, but not not a lot. I'm a bit of a cliche of the era. Old people from his life that we've never met before turning up. But yep. here, and because the acting is so good between them, I'm completely sold. The way he hugs yes. He hugs him, you know? Yeah. Did you hear the and... joke then? Did you hear the joke? He goes, um, and who's this? And he goes, oh, a pretty one about mm-hmm. Perry. And the doctor goes, a most devout young person. <laughs> <laughs> you can stop those ugly ideas, you old and, <laughs> and there is a lovely moment for Colin in a moment where, where, as Asmel says, I must concede you have to be the doctor. And the doctor says, good. I said, you had me worried. It almost had me worried for a moment there. There, I know we've already said they've made so many ill-judged decisions of this. There's some great lines in this. Yeah. And, and again, it's um, Anthony Stephen was a very, very well-respected TV writer um, who'd written All Creatures Great and Small and all sorts of things. But what Doctor Who hadn't taken into account was he was a good ad- um, adapter of other people's work. So he could adapt from a book brilliantly because the source material is there. But they say that his coming up with an original idea was a real struggle for him. So they're asking someone who's really respected in TV terms to write a story for a new Doctor. Which is, and, that's a good move. Yep, yeah, absolutely. But... You know, getting someone who is brand new to Doctor Who to write the first story of a new Doctor yeah. might not be... That's a bad move. <laughs> That's a bad move. So it's... 
it's again it's it's this problem that the era has that it hasn't got the writers that it the show needs you haven't got um, and again, I've said I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. You haven't got your Bob Bakers or your David Fishers or your Terence Dixes or your Robert Holmes who could just write a script that you wouldn't have to worry about, and you know you're going to get something that is at the very least competent that you're not going to have to do a lot of work on, and then have those writers so that you can nurture the other talent who needs a bit more help but because jnt is so insecure about people knowing more about doctor who than him we're in this constant battle of getting new people into the show who can't write doctor who but that can be controlled oh absolutely that people that that you can sort of maintain there is that need for control here is yeah and and cartmel absolutely was on that because the majority and after Pip and Jane Baker, everyone is new or returning in that era. And he works with them so sympathetically. And I know they've got a bit more time because they're making fewer episodes, but it can be done. What's interesting once Carmel comes along, JT relaxes. Yeah, and I think maybe it. that's the thing. Whereas he says just... just write it, you know, and he does cast and he's got an opinion, but he's he's not feeling like he has got to be overall just in charge no. of every whereas, the element of this thing. Whereas you hear all these stories around this time of scripts coming in and JNT just saying, Don't like that. Yeah. Get rid of it. Or without a reason. Or, you know, a good or, reason. Um, this is great, but put Omega in it. Yeah, I think we or should the have sh- the master the shopping list or, yeah. or something. And so, and I don't think all those decisions were ill judged. I think some of the decisions he made, like creatively, forced yeah. the writers to be creative. Yeah, well, absolutely. And it's again not saying that there aren't great stories throughout the Saywood era, but sometimes the things that that get through that aren't are the ones that you wouldn't expect to work so well. So your enlightenments or your kinder or something like that work in spite of all of this. There are some, I know it's a bit inconsistent, but there are some shockingly good Big Finish Lost stories for the Fifth Doctor. There are some shockingly bad ones as well. The bad ones are the ones that were greenlit on the whole. Exactly, yeah. The good ones are the ones that were never because Leviathan, uh, Point of Entry, um, Point of Entry is is fabulous. Ursontarans, the Elite, the Elite, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So so all these so these ideas were all here, and I can imagine him just reading something like the Elite and going, "Nah, I don't like it. <laughs> Get rid of that one." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet you end up with something like that just rehashes the past, and and what because happens that's... here is is you get a. Eric's award hastily rewriting because these scripts aren't kind of... McNally makes a joke of it in the commentary. He goes, Didn't Anthony Stevens say at one point his typewriter blew up or something? <laughs> as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so desperately he's trying to rewrite this thing. So he got something to produce, and yeah. it's actually, I don't know what happens. There's a strike or something that delayed the production. Yeah, and so we've got a little bit longer. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> that always, what this would have looked like. Before that, if it had gone into production when it originally had to, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, and you worse. know, I, I think a lot of the ideas are 
are great. The idea of working with someone who is a a competent TV writer is absolutely the right thing to do. But you, Doctor Who is such a strange TV program that it takes a certain kind of person to to write this. And so I just think it's a shame that all these great writers who would have been there throughout the 80s weren't given a chance to to carry on. And Even... I think Doctor Who lost something by not having those those senior voices. Even Dix had already been back for the five doctors. He should have been a shoe in to write something like this. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, he's already written in a doctor already. And it was so popular, the five doctors, yeah. you know. And given Andrew's Arnie, um, like you know, they knew, they knew that was good. Yeah. So Ward knew it was good, JT knew it was good, Graham Harper knew it was good. Mm-hmm. I'd have double banked him and said, right, write the next one as well. Which is what, what which is what they do eventually by trial, wasn't it? You know, that you've got got him as the senior writer who you know you're going to get something good from. It's too little too late, isn't it? So yeah, it is. Bad. And it's the the I said in episode one, the it's just the production team is so complacent at this point. Do you They're think that's why the, the the news that the show was being put on hiatus hit as badly as it did apparently I think so yeah he took that call and couldn't leave his desk you know he was so shocked yes. because he'd come in and reinvigorated the show and he, he massively changed the look of it and the it was oh, season 18 is is a visual feast compared to what what comes later but it's just that you get to the point where in any job where you reach all the things you you can do with this this job and you need to move on and you need to let someone else come in and take it and shape it he was trying wasn't he yeah I yeah he, a lot he of people really sort of acknowledged the time he should have chipped out was the five doctors yeah absolutely I'd go out and he would be absolutely 18 19 20 20 yeah. you'd have said but you know but finishing with the five doctors you'd have he'd have been remembered as one of the absolute greatest people involved in Doctor Who. Or maybe just do 21 and end on Androzani with him turning into Colin, then hand Colin over to the new. Exactly. A bit like um, Harry Leeds to Hinchcliffe. Yeah, you know, and you, you've started a new Doctor off, new production team would come in, think, do you know what? That costume worked for that story. But let's say, you know, Perry, that was part of my regeneration angst. <laughs> I'm going to just change my clothes here. <laughs> Didn't I? Didn't I look stylish for that garish story? Right, let's get a cut. <laughs> you know. Let's calm this down. Basically, what Nicola Bryan says in the commentary, she goes, "Your your costume works for this story." Yeah, yeah, because and, the and story is crash and colourful. State and... of mind. Yeah, but then did you see him wearing that black suit in the special feature? Yeah. Oh, oh my god, man, he looks so dapper. Mm-hmm. You, you know what happens, Cy, when you do bring in. Uh, a, a writer that they've never had before to write the first script of a new doctor and where the script editor is hastily rewriting things. Do you know what happens? What happens? You have a cliffhanger where somehow from a machine that revitalizes people, you can suddenly beam about and time travel, beam someone into the TARDIS, and then you're stuck on the place with a bomb that's about to go off. I mean, it don't make no none of that makes any sense at all. 
and and it becomes a time machine. I know. It's just like okay. <laughs> well, the sixth doctor is a genius. I know. I mean, Colin sells it. You know, I like it when he goes. What is it? It's sort of takes you apart and puts you together again. A most refreshing process. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like in terms of like at this point, we we've no idea what the plot of the story is. We're two episodes in now, and we've and got- it's. It's a moment of jeopardy. Barely any idea. For the sake of it, isn't it? It's just like a, a reason for Perry to cry. And why is she crying? He's trying she to doesn't kill like him. this man. <laughs> you know, it's baffling. Yes. Well, on that note, <laughs> should we go and find some plot in episode three? Let's see if it actually starts. I think when we do, you know, we might be pleasantly surprised. Possibly. Okay. <laughs>